Welcome back to Walking Away from Arcadia. This episode is going to be a little bit different. I am here with my co-host, Simon Eichhornchen. This is going to be another one of the episodes where we talk about a project we are getting ready to release on the Storyteller's Vault. But this project is a little bit farther outside the bounds of regular Changeling than we've gone before. The name of the book is Changeling Countless Dreams, and I will give Simon the opportunity to explain what this thing is, because it is his baby. The elevator pitch for Countless is what happened to all the myths and weird things that humanity started to believe in once science started to exist? Because there's a lot of that, from misconceptions about what quantum physics is, to what's in space, is the Earth hollow, that kind of stuff. This book tries to make the space for people to make characters and tell stories in a more sci-fi fantasy vein than the, let's say, Renfesty vein that Changeling normally has. I like the way you describe that. Renfesty vein is definitely a fair read of Changeling the Dreaming. You're trying to tackle myths about science. So clearly this is not actual future science fiction. This is not, you know, Star Trek. This is still in the world, in the moment of the world of darkness, just changelings, fairies ultimately, in the broad sense of the term, but fairies that have xenoforms and are born on alien myths. Is that really what someone could expect from this book? Yeah. When you read the prequel material for Changeling the Dreaming, there's a not very well illuminated through line from the distant past of the world of darkness into the present moment where ultimately these things all came from the same place. It's just they tell a different story about it, and that makes them different. Maybe the first question that I had when you first started pitching this to me is what relationship do the Countless have to regular changelings? I tried to leave it open so that there is potential that the Countless have been on Earth much longer than the current crop think they have been, but the book is written from the perspective that their recent arrivals on Earth and that their shattering or invasion happened back in the 70s with the moon landing because the moon landing is a major keystone for all of the changeling plots. As newcomers to the planet and its dysfunction, I tried to leave it open on just what the Countless as groups think of Changelings, but I also wrote individual characters who had relationships with Changelings, and it varies. It could be antagonistic, like we're competing for similar resources, you know, with a sciency outlook. They might think of themselves as biologists or whatever their version of an anthropologist is, discovering these lost cousins on this uninhabited speck that they thought the Earth was. Well, and that gets into 
an interesting question. You talked about how it could be antagonistic. They could have aligned interests. Do they find themselves competing for the same resources very often, uh, mainly around epiphany? How do they feed? And do you think that that would bring them into conflict with Concordian society on a regular basis? I don't think it would bring them into conflict with Concordian society on a regular basis because the Countless, in their original habitat in subspace, in the sci-fi dreaming, they existed essentially in the dreaming, feeding directly from their environment. And as new arrivals, they haven't really had the time to develop uh, human-centered epiphany. And so they feed much more like Nunahi or Inanime do by developing or exploiting the resources that the landscape they find themselves in offers. Yeah, one thing that I found really interesting about the way you handled regenerating zero-point energy, or Z, which is their glamour, it is, from a, a system standpoint, sort of indistinguishable from glamour, is the epiphany is different. It's a little bit more like the Nunihi, quite a bit more. But their revelries are all about opening the eyes of humans to some aspect of their dream, which created an interesting like anchor in humanity that's similar but not quite the same as what epiphany does and it doesn't involve actually taking from the human there's a revelry just in being seen could you talk a little bit about that design and what were you what you were thinking when you set that up sure the countless animal has legacies like changelings do they also have generic sorts of splats like changelings do Rather than getting their revelry from their fey body, essentially the way other changelings do, they get their revelry from the human half of their dual nature. Because in the end, even though they're newcomers, even though they're, you know, really potentially only on the first or second generation of being changelings, they do have a human half. And as a society and as individuals, they're struggling to understand what that means, kind of like the she-do, although I tried to emphasize that a little bit more because it does get overlooked with the she a lot. They get their revelries from the thing in the human host that made them compatible with the dream that the countless spirit fey thing embodies. For example, the cryptologist human legacy sort of provides a background for building a countless changeling off of a human. And the cryptologist, before they were implanted with this alien, they were humans, completely normal humans. Well, normal might not be the right word. Potentially quite weird humans, but mundane humans. Think Mulder and Scully. Think that annoying conspiracy theorist on your Facebook friends list that you can't get rid of because they're one of your uncles or something. Except because this is World of Darkness, there actually are horrible things out there that are kept secret and... As a human, they were trying to find those things, and they did. So their revelry, as a countless, revolves around discovering and revealing the secrets that the other 
night folk in the world of darkness don't want to be known. You talked about the other night folk of the world of darkness. And one of the things that I really, really love about this book is, to me, it feels like it opens up a lot of crossover possibility that's never existed before, not just for Changeling, but kind of anywhere in the world of darkness. You know, Mage has the Void Engineers, and it has dimensional science-aligned etherites or even virtual adepts, and it's really hard to tell stories with those characters that feel like they're part of a holistic world of darkness, aside from a handful of things that were custom-made for them. But there's a lot of potential crossover here, and I thought you did a really interesting thing with the way you described the science fiction dreaming or subspace, because you don't like just come out and set up something like the gold or black pads of Balor, but you do kind of flat out say it's not cleanly the dreaming. Like it's not the Umbra and it's not not the dreaming, but it sort of overlaps both in weird, inaccessible, but not totally inaccessible ways. I like the mushiness of that because it just leaves options open. But I know a lot of people like getting into the nitty gritty of what exactly is the cosmology of the world of darkness. So could you like, how do you envision subspace, like where it fits with all the other, you know, realms? To be completely honest, I stole the name from Mage. So there's that. Before the project really developed into what it became, I was just envisioning subspace being outer space. And that's basically the void engineer paradigm, if I'm remembering right. Uh, yeah, that's definitely the void engineer paradigm. Yeah. But as I was writing, it occurred to me that there are a lot of different realms that science and science fiction are interested in besides space. There's the deep ocean. I loved Bioshock. Somo was really good. There's also almost entirely unknown to humans, every part of the Earth that isn't sitting on top of the crust or just barely in it. There are all kinds of weird conspiracy theories about what might be under the surface there. I was particularly interested in the way that the shadow biosphere as a realm of subspace developed as I was working on it, because it is kind of a callback to the parts of the Umbra where rejected realities end up and wither and die. I really liked that idea, especially in light of the way the dreaming works, because it's not exactly withering and dying, but it's not exactly not either. And so the shadow biosphere is essentially the Earth's memory of life, and potentially more than the Earth's memory of life. It's where everything that doesn't exist anymore, but was once a living creature, ends up, at least in some kind of archetypical form. So you get entire landscapes that no longer exist, like fungus jungles and all kinds of weird stuff like that. The shadow also, I mean, if you know the etymology at all, the shadow and umbra share a significant amount of meaning, which makes an easy space to draw overlap into mage and werewolf. I was also really interested in working on digital subspace because 
of a lot of different like potential places you can go in sci fantasy, the one that always seems the most simultaneously hopeful and absolutely tragic to me is the internet. Partly because in the real world, the internet is a terrifying place, but also because we have this whole history of cyberpunk as a genre and, you know, the things that grew out of it, the more hopeful kinds of cyberpunk, along with the, you know, legitimately awful kinds and, you know, in digital subspace, like all of those stories smash together and you end up with a lot of potential for really open-ended storytelling, which was kind of the goal writing subspace as a place because in the end it's a storytelling game and as much as i think the themes of changeling are tragedy and horror and the small moments of joy you get in those overall trajectories that's not what everybody thinks so having a lot of different things in the toolbox to draw from and a lot of places that can overlap with the other genres in world of darkness appealed to me I really feel like that came through a lot. I also like subspace because subspace feels accessible. Like every time I have a game that goes into the dreaming, I'm always trying to get across just like the abstract, nonlinear weirdness of the dreaming. And it is surprisingly difficult to storytell, especially if you have any players that are at all concrete. And... I like subspace. It definitely feels like these could be realms connected to the dreaming, connected to the wildness of fairy, but they're just a little bit more concrete. They're a little bit more trackable. In in like traditional changeling terms, like they're all part of the nearer dreaming. They're much more concrete than you're really allowed to go <laughs> in traditional changeling because once you're out farther away from the part that reflects what we think of as reality, it gets really hard to deal with sometimes. Yeah, it really does. I also really loved what you did with what happens when you go into the far parts of subspace, and it does start to feel a little bit more like the dreaming, instead of it just being, oh, well, everything's weird. The countless have this particular sort of relationship with what they used to be they used to be more i'll say unified i don't want to go too far into it because i know you chose to stay a little bit more abstract than your early drafts were about all of that but there's still little hints of it that when you get far away it isn't that the dreaming gets wild and crazy it's that you get closer to the thing that wants to make you one again and so you lose yourself I really like that model. I still feel like it captures what that place is supposed to be like while keeping subspace overall more accessible. Uh, to be honest, I really had a lot of trouble trying to figure out where the line was between telling too much and not telling enough. And I may have ended up on the not telling enough side of that line. Yeah, but that's that's what future work is for. I mean, I can't imagine you ever doing anything this big again. It is a particularly large book, especially for the Storyteller's Vault. You know, I could see an adventure or some small things in the future that might flesh some of that out if you decide to, to tweak it. Right. And I did include a sampling of pre-built characters and 
story outlines feels like the right thing to call those that lay out some potential avenues to go with subspace that are a I don't know that the stories I wrote are contradicting each other, but they're not a well-oiled machine, and that's intentional. Well, yeah. I mean, for one thing, it's hard to put a series of jumpstarts and characters in what's effectively a core book. It doesn't have a main system because you're leaning on C20, but effectively a core book and flesh them out enough to be concrete. You don't want to railroad anyone also with a core book. I really like your pitches. The thing I like the most about your pitches is, you know, I've had a lot of back and forth with a lot of mage fans about the fact that, oh no, don't use spirit, don't go out into the Umbra, it takes you away from everything that's human, it's terrible, it shouldn't even be in mage, and I'm not a fan of that view. I think that you should run mage as above, so below, and go out into the spirit world, but like root it as deeply in impact on humanity as you can. And because this is about science fiction and the imagining ourselves out there, you picked some plot threads, and I won't ruin them for anyone who might want to run them, but plot threads that are really rooted in our actual exploration of space and still feel superhuman, even though you put the kind of Doctor Who tech fairy tale spin on them. And I really appreciated that. It was one of those weird things to write, too, because... It's one of my ongoing complaints about Changeling is that it should be about people because fundamentally Changeling is a story about us, we're people, but it spaces out a little too easily and there aren't a whole lot of examples or templates is the wrong word, but there aren't a whole lot of like really well-written materials to like base a, this is what it would look like to go into the dreaming where you and two of your changeling friends are going and you happen to be bringing your household of humans. Yes, which that gets to an interesting place. And I think the the metaphor you chose for humans and canine is interesting, especially as it relates to trying to take them out into subspace. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you imagined Enchanted and canine and all of that in this world fundamentally because the countless don't really need humans to make their glamour because they harvest their energy from the world and from the parts of subspace they're able to get back to there's an uncertainty in just how many countless there are and how many countless are on their way to earth following the anthropic tidal event the disaster that is their shattering because it's a shockwave that's moving through subspace and, you know, banality-ing it (laughs) and making it unrecognizable and hostile to them. So there's kind of a constant need to cultivate humans as potential future hosts for more countless who happen to end up on Earth and are going to need a body because Earth is a very hostile environment to them. So there's that. They also need humans to help them feed on zero-point energy because they're not really the thing they were before. They're not fey anymore. They're not countless, really. They're countless changelings. And they're no longer completely compatible with the energy they used to need to live. 
I'm sure there are probably some countless like scientists out there somewhere who could write or explain away just how the process works, but they need somebody to sit down to work the the machines or to, you know, govern the garden or whatever they're doing to filter the wild energy of the dreaming of subspace into discrete consumable chunks that are just banality ridden enough that are just human enough for the partial humans that the countless are to be able to consume without having terrible side effects and humans are good at that in the world of darkness humans are potentially the best at shaping the environment to their liking yeah i also really found that relationship between zero point energy and anthropic radiation, which is anthropic radiation is the banality equivalent to be really interesting because I felt like you got it. What nightmare was supposed to be a little bit better than changeling did because like nightmare is what leads to bedlam and bedlam is being overrun by the dreaming to the point that you're, human half can't keep its grounding anymore but nightmare is also the fomorians nightmare is also the felane but the felane can fall to bedlam as well and it creates this weird like what is nightmare exactly like thing in your head and like difference between nightmare and dark glamour but dark glamour doesn't have a system and i've seen a lot of players struggle with that you know and i run nightmare as the unnerving horror inside you that you're afraid of what you could become. I try to bring the two things together, but fundamentally they're it's kind of representing two different concepts that can interact with each other, but aren't the same thing. Whereas the tension between anthropic radiation and zero point energy and okay, I can get overrun by zero point energy and just like, then I can't function anymore but too much anthropic radiation and I just shut down and cease to be able to function as this, you know, thing that I am. And what does it mean if those two get terribly out of whack while still using some of the like point and dot changes that came with C20 and how to manage it? I felt like you captured the thematic quality of second edition with more of the like systematic manageability of C20. And I, it's something where I didn't even realize that trade-off had happened fully until I saw what you put together. And I went, oh, interesting. And it, it just makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah, I really liked second edition Nightmare, partly because it was mostly undefined, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the tension for every countless character in terms of their tempers is that... If you let yourself be too exposed to anthropic radiation, if you let yourself be too exposed to the banality and disbelief and mundanity of existence that says, why would you bother thinking the future is going to be different? Why would you bother thinking like there could be electric cars that are actually affordable someday or whatever, then it eats away at your ability to use zero-point energy at all, and eventually you fall dormant. The other side of the same token, you rely too heavily on the unprocessed, unfiltered energy of what you used to be, and you 
start to fall into a kind of fundamentalism, because fundamentalism is, at its core, a myth we're telling about the way things used to be and how it was better. Um, I was envisioning it as sort of a tension between present, future, and past, but it works in a lot of different ways. Without giving too much away, individuality is kind of a new thing for the Countless, and as they recklessly like return to subspace, if they're going to do that, and expose themselves to the unbridled energy of subspace, they sort of instinctually grasp the truth of what they are better, which is their version of Nightmare, and they stop being functional individual humans, or individual changeling, human-countless hybrid things. Then they become vulnerable to banality again, in a way that their changeling selves wouldn't have been. Well, and I also kind of love that, because it has so many parallels to Threat Null, from oh, yeah i loved that pl- that plot oh yeah and this is just similar enough to what threat null becomes that it raises the question of maybe this is the same subspace like maybe if you get far enough out beyond formatted space you are kind of being exposed to true zero point energy and they are the same thing and if that's true Maybe if you go far enough out, you're really getting into, like, the wild, dark recesses of the dreaming as well. Like, they're questions that absolutely should never be answered, but maybe you answer them at your particular table to inform the way a particularly high-flying game, or maybe just some horrid thing from that far distance that descends into the Earth behaves. And those thought experiments are my favorite parts of the world of darkness. I've always loved them this taps into this particular favorite corner I have that most people don't know what to do with. And I love making that. Yeah, I had a lot of fun thinking about, like, whether or not it's possible to, you know, quotes, but go back to Arcadia for these changelings. I have a lot of different answers, but I don't have an answer. (laughs) Which is really how it should be. I really want to pull Void Engineers and the Countless together, and... Also, just, I love the idea of the Countless and the technocracy as antagonists in a different way than changelings are. Mm -hmm. Because for changelings, the technocracy is just the horrid new banal monolith that will crush us, and we have to avoid it. But for the Countless, it's not so simple, because, you know, the technocracy represents science and all of their myths and wanting to perpetuate them. But the technocracy wants to perpetuate them in this very, like, controlled, specific, authoritarian, mandated way, which crushes the possibility of what could be. And so Mm -hmm. that's terrible to them. But, like, the syndicate approach of, oh, well, I'll just diminish your story also doesn't work because diminishing the Countless's story completely also runs counter to all of their goals with consensus. And so I really love the idea of like a etherite versus technocracy versus countless sort of story and where are we allied and we want to work together and where are you a hideous reality deviant and it just really confusing the ever-living hell out of the technocracy. That's the easy one to go for. I was really charmed with the idea of a countless werewolf game because 
certain groups of them have some pretty significant overlap with the Gaians. At the same time, I could also see a countless story where they end up being the thread that ties together some particularly subtle black spiral dancers, some glass walkers, and some bone gnars. It would be so weird. <laughs> it would be super weird. I do kind of love that as well. You know, I think one of the biggest sort of wins in terms of crossover, speaking of the glass walkers, is digital subspace. Again, not to give too much away, but there's another very, very rough draft project out there that was digital subspace before the countless that might get turned into a vault thing someday. But there are so many attempts at cyberpunk in the world of darkness. The glass walkers are one of them. You know, Inhabit, in Wraith is another. Obviously, Mage goes all the way there. There are all of these attempts, and Changeling never really got there. In C20, there are a couple, like, one, two-line drops that make it clear that some sort of chimerical internet exists, but it, none of it's developed, because they couldn't do anything that new in a core book, but, like, they left a couple hooks, which I appreciated, and this really kind of builds out what that might look like, and you acknowledge lots of things other than the countless that would be in there. It feels like at this moment in time, when, like, the internet is defining so much of our reality, it's kind of the time to start playing with that. Even if you have no interest in actually playing, you know, alien changelings, I feel like it's worth it just for what you put into digital subspace. It's a lot of fun. Someday we'll we'll get around to that one, I think. <laughs> that, that'll be a doozy. <laughs> It'll be about as long as this, I'm sure. Yeah, probably. Uh, another thing we could talk about is just what are the groups of the Countless? We sort of talked about the main setting and given a sense of the world, but what are the the splats, the kiths, as it were? I didn't stray too far, I think, from the standard Old World of Darkness model. There are two and a half, three sort of mainline. These are clearly like aliens, countless. And then there are a couple that are new evolutions on the idea, one set who were the things we sent into space before us, and the other set that were the animals we sent into space before us. And if you are familiar at all with the stories about animals in space, that's it's really good World of Darkness material because it's really awful. The two primary splats for the Countless are the kites and the silicates. The kites... They're the descendants of the first invaders who came to subspace when the solar system was a big burning star and its associated ball of dust being blown off into space and exposed to anthropic radiation. They needed a shelter, and so they took what was available and they made their bodies out of the fluid materials they found around them. And each of the splats is broken into two species. While the celestial kites would say they are the originators of their species, there's also a deep sea version of them that their mythology has linked to the celestial kites, but if I ever come back around to this, would 
definitely start thinking of them as having an equal myth about how the Celestials came from them. They're probably the most alien, countless. The silicates came when the terrestrial worlds started to develop. So the inner planets, asteroids, the moons. And when they came, that was what was available to them. So they you know, built their subspace shells from heavy matter. Sort of the design goal with them was to play with the idea that Changeling has a little bit in Dougal, where we need to think about where the line is between human beings and the machines we find around ourselves and need to very carefully think about what we're doing when we're externalizing memory, when we're, you know, making it possible to hear our dead grandmother's voice from beyond the grave because we happen to find an old VHS that has her on it. And how would the artifacts of intelligent but not organic life deal with suddenly being at least partly organic and having to deal with the the squishiness of wetware and i love the reverse cyberpunk of that it's so cyberpunk but so backwards and it just raises some really interesting questions about that whole mixed organism kind of situation i tried really hard to make the the implantation and joining their changeling way be a more discreet combination of a human being and this other thing. Partly for that, because, you know, Shadowrun does that thing where, like, the more hardware you install, the less of a soul you have. I really wanted to get away from that sort of a narrative because it's boring and get into, you know, what happens when the hardware and the wetware are maybe not co-equal parts of the amalgam organism, but are both acknowledged as contributing something. I feel like the situation in Shadowrun is very much that attempt that Cyberpunk is making to be gritty and dystopic, but we're kind of past that point. You know, the 80s was this moment where so many people remembered a much more analog world, and they were right on the edge of, oh, that's clearly not the future yet, but we still sort of live in it. So I understand that anxiety. Beyond it being kind of a a boring dichotomy, we're not there anymore. Like, we have to grapple with what it means that so much of who we are doesn't exist in our meat sack anymore, and that that process is just going to accelerate. I like the more comprehensive inspection of that dynamic. One of my favorite cyberpunk stories that must have been in the back of my mind when I was writing this part, wasn't so much about cyborgs, but it was about sort of that bleeding edge we're at right now, where technology is so much a part of our lives, but it's not necessarily attached yet. It involved hacking somebody's, essentially their phone AI, because they had limited AI on their phones to filter through their messages as they move through the world, because, you know, we're there now. If you're in certain downtown cores, you can walk around and your phone starts going off because there's an ad nearby. That's lovely. But they have these AIs that help you sort through that and block the stuff you're not interested in and pick out the stuff you are interested in and try to hold on to it until you are interested in it. And the story revolved around some CEO or consultant 
their phone AI getting hacked and them not realizing it at first. And I, I, I imagine like the new information that the silicates are getting as, you know, embodied partly human beings being a lot like the situation we're in now where there are so many people, you know, if you are tech savvy, you have to explain to so many people, like, this is a notification. If you get rid of it, but you don't deal with it, it'll be back in five minutes. And it's, there's a whole story there about the information we even choose to expose ourselves to and how that changes who we are. There are lots of different ways you can tangle with that issue. Some of them very anti-technology, some of them very pro-technology. So I like all of that. And I love trying to tackle that through the lens of fairy tale. You know, things are a little more concrete in this than normal changeling, but I still read through the whole book thinking about Doctor Who and like, oh, I remember when Doc, like, I remember that episode. I remember how that was handled or the old Twilight Zone episodes where we don't have to explain everything. It doesn't need to be hard sci-fi, but like we can really dive into what does this mean like from an identity standpoint, what does this mean? And not worry so much about the technical details. Yeah, sci-fi started there, and I love that kind of sci-fi. Now that you mention it, like my ongoing problem with Star Trek is that their teleporters are creepy as hell and nobody thinks they are. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. You aren't being killed and reborn over and over yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful metaphor for the human condition. The two last groups are the ones that are less alien than the other two. The Forgotten are the countless that arose from the shadow biosphere. So there are questions about them, particularly with their, their subspecies, the ancestors, the ones who are tied intimately to the history of life in the universe. Each one of them is either the last surviving member of their species or they are the memory of the of their species and i know there are a ton of people who love shapeshifters and hate puka this is for you because <laughs> they are shapeshifters who are not puka but as you know potentially dead puka they are the place where I, I feel like this comes the closest to being traditional changeling because their homes, if they can find them, are, and if they still exist, are just right on the edge of the Shadowlands. And, you know, what's the difference between an environment that doesn't exist anymore and the ghost of an environment that exists in the Shadowlands? I had a lot of fun thinking about the possibilities for Wraith crossover there because... Maybe it's just unpopular game solidarity, but I feel like Wraith and Changeling, they need to form a union sometimes. <laughs> I, I totally agree with that. And again, this is one of those things that a lot of people, when they first think about sci-fi, don't acknowledge because they think like, oh yeah, like science fiction, we're really going to explain things. But there is a long history of ghost stories in science fiction. It used to be very popular in like the B-movie schlock era. There's a fair bit of it, like, sprinkled into Star Trek. It's all over Star Wars. Event Horizon is a thing. There's a really interesting tension between I'm in the future. It's even more technologically advanced. But there's this thing I'm never going to get away from, and that is the creeping feeling 
that the people that I left behind are still here and really secretly wishing that they were. Like that's so eternal. And so I just, I love putting that in science fiction. I love those stories. The tension that these countless have with the rest of them, because like the other countless, they can feed from their environments, but they do it in a way that is very different from the more alien ones, because the more alien ones, they had civilizations, they had industry, the ancestors, the near human ones probably did have some level of like technology, but at the same time, their relationship with their environment was very different from the relationship of, you know, horrible squid monsters from space. <laughs> That's definitely fair. The very last group that is kind of, they're countless. They're countless in spirit, but I'm not sure they're countless in makeup are the Oppies. And I'm going to be honest, I wrote them entirely because as I was writing this the air quotes, the last message from the Opportunity Rover came to Earth, and I watched the internet lose its mind with emotion over that. You know, it got me to thinking, what are the inanime that are generated by, like, that outpouring of, like, human connection, the endeavor of anthropomorphizing something like the Opportunity Rover, like the Voyager spacecraft, like you know, anything that we've shot into space, Sputnik. Like, what would it be like to be in an anime who, like, crashes to Earth because that's where all the action is, really doesn't have that connection to their anchor because their anchor is potentially inaccessible. So they're individuals in a way a lot of an anime aren't. They are not their anchors. They are, from the second they're born, this distinct entity. And there may be multiple oppies generated by a, a specific event but each one of them is an individual it's a little bit the lost pet story at least in my mind because these things you know we reached out to them so desperately with you know an opportunities case excitement and sorrow and you know raw emotion where like in sputnik's case it really depended on what country you were in what you felt about it and how like coming to earth filtered through the dreaming through that tide of emotion like what gets generated by that i imagine the more controversial things like sputnik having a lot of oppies generated originally that were very regional and had very different personalities where in the more modern period because the only real barrier to understanding each other is language at this point they're not homogenous, but they're much more homogenous now when they're made. What their relationship with us is, as in a lot of ways, one of our creations. Like, what do they feel? What do they think of us, if they think anything at all? Like, maybe they're just trying to get back to subspace like all the other countless are. But maybe they, from the second they were born, were curious about something about Earth, something about humans. It's a little bit the Android data EMH sort of thing, but it's also because it exists in the context of Changeling, where in anime exist. It's also what does the old world think of this new thing? Is this a sign of the end times? Is this going to fix everything for us? What do we do with this? I think they're the crossover I find the most interesting, just because... I really like the anime and they never get enough press. 
<laughs> but also that is because... the truth. I love the anime, and they never get enough press. But also because they're like the first real an anime that's hopeful about the future. Like they're not 100% an anime, but all of the an anime, their hope for the future, if they have any, comes from that kind of fundamentalist myth about the past and restoring it. Even the crofted, they don't seem entirely comfortable with themselves, what they've become and what's going to happen in the future. And I don't have the same feeling about the oppies being ambivalent about the future. That makes me think about a really interesting bridge for some of the anime that exist in the canon but have never actually been written up in the canon. I'm thinking about Sparks. They keep getting mentioned. They exist. They exist. And then we're never actually going to do a two-page spread on them. The Sparks are one of the few groups of an anime because of their relationship to technology that I could see being really hopeful about the future but still having this connection to the rest of be an anime, a fraught one, because it's it, it's largely presented as being through the Salamanders, which have their own fraught relationship to the rest of the anime, but like there is a connection there. Yeah, I'd love to do an Oppie story with a really built-out version of Sparks and other in anime and mannequins, because, you know, my players are so sick of mannequins, I, I can't even begin to describe, but I love the dolls. And thinking specifically about what you just described, like the mannequins to me feel like they're absolutely not hopeful about the future. They're not hopeful about where they are, but because their story has been so warped, they're not allowed to idealize the past either because that acknowledges that what was done to them was somehow wrong. And so, yeah, like this is, this is like the cultural and anime story that I want. And the oppies and the sparks feel like the grounding spot that it could all orbit around where I feel like maybe the anime haven't had that historically. And the Oppies are the only ones who don't have a subspecies. The other three splats have a subdivide. The Oppies, I guess I just didn't really see room for that sort of a thing because their, their personality really comes from what their anchor's mission was, like what the feeling humanity had for them in the moment they were made was where the other countless their divides come from their environment which they feed on and it comes from the moment they were made in i guess there's some overlap with the oppies there but it's it's a softer divide internally for the oppies also for the scope of the project you introduced several new playable groups i think there's a certain amount of keeping everything accessible and the oppies are already such a different sort of creature that trying to subdivide it further might have been a bit difficult to do and their story seems more singular to me so we've talked about the kiths or they're called clades in the book of the countless what about their politics what about how their society is broken down do they have courts the way other changelings do. The thing I was trying to do with the Countless was a lot of their politics can come from, you know, their clade, their species, what exactly they are. It can also come from their human half based on what their human host prioritizes, how their human host fits into the Countless dream. But it really wouldn't be World of Darkness without some political infighting and 
as with any human endeavor, once you have enough people in one spot, you start to have political and philosophical differences. And the Countless aren't any different. They don't have courts, per se, but through their history on Earth, the joining and implantation procedure has been dominated by the two main political factions of Countless. There's the Symbiosis Collective and the Prophets of Harmony. Each has slightly different ideas about how the Countless survive into the future. The Symbiosis Collective thinks that the best way to ensure the Countless survive into the future is to strike some kind of a balance with humanity, to take on kind of a caretaker role, guiding humanity back into subspace with them, so that the weaponization of anthropic radiation that the moon landing represents never happens again, so that humanity finds subspace not threatening, but understandable, and the countless, like our other changelings, exist in the shadows. And the Prophets of Harmony developed as more countless came to Earth, potentially with stronger memories of what they used to be. And they think that the best way to ensure their survival as a species is to, again, make sure that the anthropic tidal event never happens again. But they're going for a much more final solution where humanity is in some way prevented from interacting with subspace. There are probably factions within that group divided between the ones who want to wipe out humanity, the ones who want to genetically engineer humans to no longer be able to create banality, and the ones who just want to get back to subspace and make sure the Earth is like a little cyst that can't interact with the rest of it. I tried to stay away from the problem that Changeling ran into with the Seelie and Unseelie courts, where Seelie got shorthanded as good and Unseelie got shorthanded as evil. In the discussion about Countless Allegiance, they're both fairly awful in different ways. Apart from the two major allegiances, I also tried to leave it open so that players could attach their Countless to different groups, so that you could assign your Countless to... I guess it's not really a, a terrible fate, but it's an unpleasant fate of uh, always being an outsider, because you could, you know, in your backstory, create a link to... Concordia, or create a link to the Nunahi, or create a link to the Glasswalkers, or the Void Engineers, and then your character doesn't have to deal with, you know, their version of the Ashit, their allegiance's mission objectives, bringing them into conflict with, you know, the rest of the table, or the rest of the group. Yeah, I also like that open allegiances concept, because it makes the book more usable across the board. At the end of the day, this is a bunch of alternate interpretation of a game, and you might have a bunch of people that want to play Changeling and one person who really wants to play, you know, one of these countless things and leaving it open and giving a space for the storyteller to know, okay, this exists. It's common enough that there'll be a social context. I can have NPCs and like get a sense for how they feel about all this and not have to develop it all myself. I felt like it was a really good design move for the relationship this book kind of has to have with the rest of the world of darkness. And like you said, it doesn't pigeonhole characters into a limited set of philosophical molds. 
Right, and because allegiance is tied to their version of banality triggers, having a minority allegiance that puts you in line with you know, the rest of the, the, the players makes it easier to live as a changeling. That is the truth. <laughs> we haven't given everything away. There are definitely a few more things in this book, bits and pieces of very exciting reading. Just the full description of the realms of subspace alone, I think is worth it. Great story seed ideas, template characters. Countless Dreams is really chock full of little artifacts that you can take and run with. And I think it's a really exciting book. I'm a little biased. I've spent a bunch of time editing it, but it is Simon's baby. Thank he, you. he wrote the whole thing. <laughs> um, and it's really been a joy to work on. The look and feel of the book is also very distinct. You're getting a lot of love if you pick this up. And the link will be in all of our postings and it'll be in the, the podcast description. I want to thank Simon for guesting on his own podcast. And It uh, feels weird. <laughs> yeah, it's so bizarre. And thank you all for listening. I hope that you take a look at Countless Dreams. I hope you like it. And uh, join us again for our next conversation on Walking Away from Arcadia. 